Welcome to Dietz for Iowa podcast episode number four. I'm Sean Dietz. Uh, later in this episode, we're going to be talking to a very uh, dear close friend of mine, Fritz Grosskruger. Fritz writes a, a column titled uh, The Alternative, and it appears in uh, several dozen newspapers around the state of Iowa uh, as he uh, originally started uh, submitting those to the Hampton Chronicle uh, a few years ago, and then as the uh, Chronicle has uh, expanded and Mid-America Publishing has bought uh, several other local papers, uh, his column is appearing in, in those small-town newspapers around the state. So we'll talk to Fritz a little bit about that uh, coming up. And uh want to also mention today, as as we're recording this on Thursday, September 22nd, 2016, uh want to mention uh, to uh, encourage you to pray for families and residents of North Central and North, Northeastern Iowa who are uh, dealing with flooding. Um, the uh, Butler County towns of Clarksville and and Green, I know, are experiencing severe flooding, as are uh, the city of Mason City in Cerro Gordo County. Uh, Marble Rock and Charles City in Floyd County, I know, are also experiencing um, some pretty massive flood efforts at this time of the day, right around noon now. Um, the water is still rising, and um, looks like uh, that uh, flood stages may reach higher than 2008 levels. And so, um, in terms of emergency preparedness, um, you know, I know specifically the folks in Butler County are in good hands with, uh, Mitch Nordmeyer, their, uh, emergency management director over there. Um, very, uh, very few people I know are more diligent in their, in their job than, than Mitch is. And, uh, so we know that they're in good hands and, and our own, uh, Franklin County emergency management coordinator I know is over there. Uh, helping as well, Thomas Creighton. So um, those guys are uh, very good at what they do. They're very diligent at their jobs, and uh, I know they're doing what they can to uh, help coordinate and plan and uh, be a good resource for the people in in those communities. So uh, we continue to pray for them and and their safety and um, the uh, the efforts that will continue over the next several days to, uh, recover any losses and, and, uh, depending on how bad it gets, uh, it could be a, a longer ongoing effort. Uh, at this point you hate to draw any comparisons, but immediately that what comes to mind is the floods of 2008, uh, really, um, devastating floods, uh, back in those, uh, those days. And, uh, we remember those times and, um, Hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't get that bad, but forecasts uh, certainly lead you to believe that they might. Marble Rock, which is up in uh, the southern part of Floyd County, um, we had a report at the radio station today, uh, just a mile north of Marble Rock, of around eight inches of rain overnight up there. So uh, again, uh, have those people in your in your thoughts and prayers as as we uh, go throughout the uh, the rest of the day today. Fritz Grosskruger, coming up. He was a 2002 candidate for Secretary of Agriculture in the state of Iowa, so we'll ask him about that. He was a libertarian candidate. Uh, I've always said Fritz was a libertarian before being a libertarian was cool. I don't know that it's cool now, but <laughs> we'll talk to Fritz about that. Um, and uh, certainly Fritz is, is a 
person that has always been an alternative point of view. And uh, so that's that's why his column is called The Alternative. Um, so we'll talk to Fritz about that and and uh, the different kinds of reception that he gets because he, he's one that solicits uh, feedback from, from his readers. So Fritz Grossgerger coming up in uh, just a moment right here on the Deets for Iowa podcast, episode number four. i got to take another minute here to tell you guys about coffeebygillespie.com. Enjoyed another really great cup of coffee from them this morning. And uh, got to tell you that if you enjoy uh, fresh roasted coffee beans and uh, fresh roasted coffee, you grind it yourself, uh, you get the aromas uh, going throughout your kitchen or throughout your office, wherever you're uh, grinding those beans and, and brewing that coffee, uh, coffeebygillespie.com is where you want to go. Uh, several different flavors, and uh, you can check that out. Uh, there's a link here on deetsforiowa.com. You can check them out, coffeebygillespie.com. And when you use the promo code DEETSFORIOWA, that is D-I-E-T-Z, the number 4, I-O-W-A, my friends at coffeebygillespie.com, they're going to give you a 10% discount on your order when you use that promo code Deets for Iowa. So be sure to check that out again. Coffee, C-O-F-F-E-E, by, B-Y, Gillespie, G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E, dot com. Coffee by Gillespie.com, promo code Deets for Iowa. Welcome back, Deets for Iowa podcast, episode number four, Sean Deets, and we are interviewing this time an uh, old friend of mine, old because I've been a friend of his for a long time, or at least like to think I've been a friend of his for a long time, Fritz Grosskruger, and uh, he's uh, he's been around for a little while uh, on this uh, libertarian block, and uh, Fritz, thanks for talking to me today. You're welcome, Sean. So, tell us about your history. How did you end up becoming the libertarian that you are today? Uh, well, my dad was a stockbroker who was proud of the opportunities he gave to people with his business. We were at odds over the Vietnam War when all of a sudden a friend of mine said, but do we have to kill him? And I had this realization and turned into a anti-war protester, but like Every other war protester I ever knew, I never spit on a returning soldier. I kind of think that's a blown-up crock. Anyway, uh, I went from that to uh, having to work for a living and being an anti-war protester during the Vietnam War. you had to be a communist because it was a war against communism. But then pretty soon I saw the fallacy of that system, and uh, and then I got to know my dad again after a while, and the two of us were best friends, and uh, so I think I heard somebody on the radio once running for president as a libertarian, and that's the time when I put the label on myself, although now looking around at people that are libertarians, I'm not one anymore. (laughs) 
it's kind of like a lot of people say that I didn't leave the Republicans, the Republicans left me, and I'm the same way with the Libertarians. I, if you got to label me, I'm an anarcho-capitalist now. There you go. And it seems like every time I see you now, you're wearing your anarcho-capitalist T-shirt. <laughs> well, you're proud. They had a big sale at American Apparel that makes these real nice-fitting T-shirts, and I bought eight of these gray T-shirts because they were real cheap and got this printed on them. So people think that I never changed my shirt, and I don't care what they think. So that's all right. All right. So as, as long as we're on the subject, let, let, let's, let's lay it out there. D- define for us what is an anarcho-capitalist. It's someone who believes that there should be no entity that controls your property but yourself. So anarchy would be no government, and a capitalist would be somebody that believes in uh, private property, free exchange, and that kind of thing. So, Fair enough. In 2002... You uh, dipped your toe into politics as the libertarian candidate in the state of Iowa for Secretary of Agriculture. How did you How did you end up being in that position? And uh, tell us about that campaign. I went to the state convention of the Libertarian Party, which was in a real nice hotel down in Des Moines, and I got drafted. So I figured, well, it'd be an easy job because the Secretary of Agriculture only needs to regulate gas pumps, and everything else can take care of itself, and I would have made $88,000 a year doing that. So I went on a couple of... uh, interview shows like on Channel 13 in Des Moines and public TV in Des Moines. Uh, Got interviewed by some magazine reporters and Craig Donnelly at KLMJ where uh, I was at the fair and he was doing a free, uh, what do you call it, A, a live interview. And he said to me, so how do you like the fair, Fritz? I said, oh, I love it. I worked my ass off all day just so I could get to the fair tonight. And I, he turned white as a sheet. I think he thought that the Federal Communications Commission was going to come and take his socks out of his drawer or something. He, pro- he probably did think that. <laughs> I don't think anything happened from it. No, no. It's kind of like the government. It's it's just so efficient. They lost my draft records, and they never caught Craig for saying an for me saying a naughty word on his radio station. Yeah, I think you can say ass on the radio. I I wouldn't I wouldn't do it, but I think it is allowed. <laughs> so uh, uh, it is a free country after all. That's what we're told. <laughs> um, so, so back back on that campaign, the, I mean, what was that like? I know you, I know you had to, you were doing the the typical, you know, candidate thing. You were talking to voters. You were 
making phone calls, you were knocking on doors, you were walking in parades, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, the Libertarian Party has been around for a long time. What was the Libertarian Party in Iowa like then, though? Because, I mean, you know, now it kind of seems like there's maybe a little bit of resurgence a little bit um, just because people are so unhappy with the other two parties. But at the time, I would imagine people actually were doing a little bit of work or would have had to do a little bit of work to seek out the Libertarian. Yeah. They or we were pretty enthusiastic. Uh, there, there were times when, personally, I had a really good day. And I'd have a lot of interest, you know, like Linda Upmeyer's dad. I met him at, and she's our state house representative, I met him at a parade in Latimer, and he was really interested. You know, he he saw on the side of my 67 Saab with a two-stroke three-cylinder in it that I was a libertarian candidate, and he just would not let me go. We had a great conversation. And uh, I don't know if it was that night or what, but I had this feeling coming over me, kind of like I was falling off a cliff, like I might win. It scared the heck out of me. And I I was starting to plan things I could do to blow it, like uh, pass a rumor that I cheated on my wife or something like that. But I didn't. Was, was He wouldn't... He wouldn't have been Speaker of the House. Linda's Speaker of the House now. He wouldn't have been Speaker of the House at that time. That would have been after that, right? I don't know if he was or not. Yeah. yeah. Del Stromer was his name. A real nice guy, I thought. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Just in my conversations with Linda and obviously knowing some Iowa political history, I I remember Del being the uh, Iowa Speaker of the House. But I I think that would have been after that time period. But anyway, um, so... Obviously, you, you had you had some some cross party or cross uh, um, you know ideology appeal, and uh, who who was the secretary of agriculture at the time in the state? Do you remember? Do you remember who you ran against? Who were the other? Uh, I remember most of the ones I ran against, and I'm not sure if Patty Judge was the incumbent or not, but she was in the race. Uh, Brian DePew was in the race, and he went to Simpson College. He was a young guy. He was the Green Party guy. And then there was another guy named Tigler or something like that. He was independent. And then there was a Republican, and I can never remember his name, but (laughs) I do remember that he called me up because I did an interview where I pointed out that he wanted the state to build him a tortilla factory. And I just didn't think it was the state's job to do that. So he called me up, and I bet we talked for an hour. We had a real nice conversation, but he never he never turned around and said, well, I'm a Republican, so I would never have the state build me a tortilla factory. It was just one of those necessary economic development schemes, you know. Sure, sure. Uh <laughs> So then, uh, how long after uh, this? Uh, do, well, first of all, before I move on from that topic, do you remember how many votes you got? About twenty thousand. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, 
The Republicans and the Democrats were real close at about 450,000 apiece. But to think there were 20,000 people that would vote for me, I thought, well, that's great, you know. I wish I could hug them all. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and, that, and you know, that's – honestly, that's that's how I felt in the in the couple races that I've been in is like, wow, well, you know, I maybe didn't win, but, wow, there's a lot of people that turned out and thought, hey, this guy would be good at that. And so it, even though you don't win, it does make you feel good. So how long after the, uh, the 2002 Secretary for Agriculture campaign did you uh, start your column, The Alternative? Well, I think it's been six years, so that would take us back to 2010. So, It's only been six years? It might be seven now. But time goes so fast, I think Don said, wow, it's been six years. And uh, it seems like only yesterday she said that. <laughs> it might be a year ago or something. Well, you must, have been, you must have been writing regular letters to the editor or something then. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because because I can remember reading Fritz Grosskreuer columns or letters to the editor, and uh, myself at the time being what I would describe now as as a neocon. That's what I was then, and I remember reading Fritz Grosskreuer articles at the time and thinking, "There's no way I'd ever get along with this guy," <laughs> because at, because uh, at the time, you know, uh, recognizing um, my own. Uh, shortcomings as a, uh, you know, from a, from an ideological standpoint. I mean, uh, I was, you know, I remember in the early 2000s, you know, we're talking 04, 05, well, 2003 when the Iraq war started. I mean, I remember sitting in my apartment in Waterloo literally cheerleading the effort to where now I look back at that and I don't even recognize that guy now. So... Um, so that that's what that's what I'm saying. I could read a Fritz Grosskreuer article, you know, maybe it was oh six, oh seven, oh eight, something along those lines. I know Bush was in office, W, and thinking there's no way this this guy and I could sit at a table and share a coke. Yeah, and letters to the editor are something that in everyday conversation, you know, I I'll get in the checkout line at the grocery store. Uh, make a comment about a headline on the National Enquirer or something, and I could just stand there and talk to the people in that line for a, a long time. And everybody's got these pet peeves that have to do with their own personal situation, especially uh, especially small business people, uh, people that just have a nine to five job and and work that to do their own thing when that time isn't bought from them. Um, they don't qu care quite as much, but small business people, every one of them has some sort of a thorn in their side or a burr under their saddle that is driving them crazy because they think they could expand or do a better job. And, uh, they always run up against these well-intentioned roadblocks. And so I tell them, write a letter to the paper because it's the most read part in the whole paper, in every paper. And you never know when somebody's going to read that and say, 
yeah, you know, I never looked at it that way. So I encourage people to write letters to the editor. I, my first one I wrote was to the Piedmont paper, a town right next to Oakland, California. And during that time, the Vietnam War was going on. And Oakland, I lived right down the street from where Huey Newton went to school. And Angela Davis was in the news then, and she was this commie with the big natural, which they call afros now. And she poses with a machine gun. I think she got busted for some kind of violent act she did with the Black Panthers. But anyway, I wrote this letter to this paper praising her. (laughs) Well, I turned around too, Sean. (laughs) We don't all stay the way we were when we were in our young 20s. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun at the time. I got to take another minute here to tell you guys about coffeebygillespie.com. Enjoyed another really great cup of coffee from them this morning. And uh, got to tell you that if you enjoy uh, fresh roasted coffee beans and uh, fresh roasted coffee, you grind it yourself, uh, you get the aromas uh, going throughout your kitchen or throughout your office, wherever you're uh, grinding those beans and, and brewing that coffee, uh, coffeebygillespie.com is where you want to go. Uh, several different flavors and uh, you can check that out. Uh, there's a link here on deetsforiowa.com. You can check them out, coffeebygillespie.com. And when you use the promo code DEETSFORIOWA, that is D-I-E-T-Z, the number 4, I-O-W-A, my friends at coffeebygillespie.com, they're going to give you a 10% discount on your order when you use that promo code DEETSFORIOWA. So be sure to check that out again, coffee, C-O-F-F-E-E, by B-Y, Gillespie, G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E, dot com. Coffee by Gillespie dot com. Promo code Deets for Iowa. So what kind, of, what kind of topics do you write about in the alternative? I mean, obviously I know, but tell, tell, tell the folks listening what, do you, what you cover. I know foreign policy is a big one. You talk about U.S. foreign policy and uh, your numerous disagreements uh, with U.S. foreign policy. Um, economic policy what 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 else yeah the the welfare slash warfare state which cannot be separated the the two are the same thing they're both extreme government power should, that should never exist but i do every two weeks i write this the alternative and uh I'm constantly trying to find something more fun to write about. Uh, I used to hitchhike around the country a lot. I was single till I was 29. I met Don when I was 28. So up until that time, well, that would be about 10 years since I left home, like every kid should do when they're 18. And... uh, Learn to get out on your own, make your own way in the world, experience some things before you settle down and get responsible for other people besides yourself. But anyway, I wrote about my summer that I spent in Alaska, and even Linda Upmeyer said that was fun to read. 
So that kind of thing, uh, uh, yeah, I just personal experiences or just like a human interest story type of thing is is a lot of fun, but it seems like every time I, let's see, let's see what was that I was going to write? I had the last one, I started on something. I wanted to write about Vin Scully because I grew up in L.A. Actually, I grew up when I met Dawn and got married. That's when I grew up. But when I was a kid... Vin Scully started broadcasting for the Dodgers the year I was born. Then they moved to L.A. from New York in 57. That's when I was seven. And that's about the time that I was grown up enough to care about something like baseball. Uh, I would follow the Dodgers who had Johnny Roseborough and Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax and Junior Gilliam and Maury Wills. They had Dodgers on their team. And they weren't Dodgers who were somebody else later and moved around from team to team. And so it was kind of like the Hansel Redlegs when we coached them. They represented a town. And... uh, it was really fun. So I had this transistor radio. I remember it was brown with gold trim on it. It was kind of ugly, about big enough to fit in my hand, and I would have that thing under the covers, and my folks thought I was asleep, and, geez, I was up till 10 o'clock at night every night listening to the Dodger game on the radio. And then I'd turn the volume way down when I thought I heard them coming. And so... Now I don't get TV, and I don't. I just follow them. I got a couple friends in Hampton who know what's going on with them, and I got two kids that live out there that go to the games a little bit. But uh, anyway, so Vin Scully was like a huge part of my life. In fact, when I started writing this story about Vinny, I realized that out of all the men in my life. He's he's the only one I've known longer than my barber. <laughs> and that's kind of weird, you know. The other ones have died, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But uh, when I came to Dumont when I was 14 to see my grandma and grandpa, I got a haircut by Bob, mm-hmm. and he's still given haircuts. He gave me a haircut when I was 14, and he's... I'm just about 66. So, anyway, uh, that kind of thing, those little anchors or cultural, uh, stable cultural things, I think are important. You know, and that's why I'm a patriot. You are a patriot. So so then uh, at some point here, like, it was just a couple, three years ago, I remember you came to me and said, hey, I got a website. Mm. What do I do with it? <laughs> so you've got uh, alternativebyfritz.com is, is what your website is now, and that's where you put uh, all, of your, all of your columns, and then you do, you do more writing there than just what appears in the newspaper. Yeah, if I see a... An interesting story in the news that needs an alternative viewpoint. Try to keep with 
Actually, Brad Hicks at the paper suggested the name of the column, and I'm indebted to him for that because alternative is a good word to use when the media is so focused on these ill or irrelevant uh, stories that people take as being, well, like this year, the most important election of all time. Every single election is the most important election of all time. And no matter who gets in there, the government will take away more of our cash and more of our freedom and prop up more people that don't deserve to be propped up, like wind generators or... Uh, the tragedy to me is that these well-intentioned programs have created, have made all the problems worse, such as the uh, generational welfare dependence. Living in Oakland, I saw the middle-class black families where the husband would walk to work and I'd see him coming home with a lunchbox and the kids would come to greet them outside the house and they kept a nice yard and painted a white picket fence just like you'd see in some strange stylized movie about the good old days and it was really like that and then all of a sudden it was this Black Panther thing and somebody else being blamed for our problems and to solve the problems is just to go out and take what isn't yours and uh, I think these disgruntled revolutionaries or whatever could uh, live much happier lives if they would do something productive as my dad told me to do once so I quit college <laughs> you didn't find that to be a productive use of your time uh, no I pretty much learned all I needed to learn about enjoying life there you go. Um, and, and one of the things that, that I love about you is you're always open to a discussion with anybody, whether they agree with you or disagree with you. And at the end of all of your columns, you always invite people to email you at, at, your, at your email address, which is four, that's the number four, selfgovernment at gmail.com. What kind of responses do you get? Do you, do you get a lot of response? And if so, what are they like? I have uh, probably three or four people that respond often. Other than that, I don't get much. Uh, I think there's just been, like this column goes in the paper, I, I believe out of all those six or seven years, I've just had one person write a letter to the editor to the paper responding to my column. And it's it's really disappointing, but I meet people occasionally that say, keep it up, I read your column every week, that kind of thing. It's not like I'm walking down the street in Dumont or Hampton and people are mobbing me looking for autographs, but <laughs> I get some encouragement and it it really helps when you see that thing going out into space and it's just gone, and you don't get an email or anything about it. You know, it, it makes me think I must be either 
looked at as a fool or that I make my point so well that they can't come back and dispute it. I did have somebody tell me, that's the reason why nobody writes about your column in the paper or responds to you. But he mumbled it, which when you're 66 and you've run chainsaws and driven open station tractors and gone to rock and blues concerts all your life, what'd you say, Sean? <laughs> and people mumble a lot now, you know, and I got to confront him. I got to just hold him down and say, what was it you said? You just want people to talk louder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mumbling's a big problem nowadays. Well, there's no mumbling in, in your column. Everybody understands everything that you're saying in your column and on your website, and I want to encourage people to check that out, alternativebyfritz.com, and email Fritz. Let him know what you think and tell him what you want him to write about next because he's probably got a really interesting story about something that means a lot to you. And uh, his email address is forselfgovernment at gmail.com. That's the number four. Um, and Fritz, thanks for talking to me today. I appreciate the time that you spent with me today, and I really appreciate our friendship. Yeah, I do too, Sean. I really look forward to this. Even if I wasn't tromping around in mud before I got here, I still would have liked visiting with you today. All right, Fritz Grosskruger is the guy's name, and he's a legend in these parts. And how many? How many? How many newspapers? That's what I was going to ask you. How many newspapers does your column appear in? Because it's it's certainly not. I mean. The uh, it's not just the Chronicle anymore, but they, I mean, they have expanded their their footprint by quite a bit now. I think it's twenty three. See so your 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 knowledge and your viewpoints are getting in all of these small communities across Iowa, and that's a good thing. Yeah, Carl, I've had a couple columns lately where, like Carl, my middle kid, the one that lives in Iowa, said you should send this to some other papers. And, uh, well, I never got around to it. But it was a timeless column. It wasn't about EpiPen or anything like that. So You could still do it. Yeah, I could still do it. I'll, I'll find time to do it. Thanks a lot, Fritz. You're welcome. I want to thank Fritz for talking to us today and uh, giving us an insight into his column and uh, some of his life experiences. Fritz is an invaluable asset when it comes to um, different types of policy, um, and he's always a great sounding board um, whenever I've got a question about uh, libertarian philosophy or politics. So I want to thank Fritz for agreeing to come on the podcast today. And... Um, we're going to close out today with our devotion from Ligonair.org. The Ligonair Ministries app is where I get this. Today's is titled, Beating the Clock. I've learned a few tricks to help me beat the clock. They may be helpful to you. I realize that all my time is God's time, and all my time is my time by His delegation. God owns me and my time, yet He has given me a measure of time over which I am a steward. I can commit that time to work for other people, visit other people, etc., but it's time for which I must give an account. Time can be redeemed by concentration and focused. One of the greatest wastes of time occurs in the human mind. 
Our hands may be busy, but our minds idle. Likewise, our hands may be idle, but our minds are busy. Wool gathering, daydreaming, and indulging in frivolous fantasy are ways in which thoughts may be wasted in real time. To focus our minds on the task at hand with fierce concentration makes for productive use of time. The mind can redeem valuable time taken up by ordinary or mechanical functions. For example, the mechanics of taking a shower are not difficult. In this setting, the mind is free for problem-solving, creative thinking, or the composition of themes. Many of my messages and lectures are germinated in the shower. When I used to play golf, I found that the time I had between shots was a great time for composing messages in my mind. And their thought of the day there is, be conscious of where you focus your mind today. Try to redeem valuable time consumed by ordinary and mechanical functions by thinking of things of eternal value. And I think certainly today, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast with everything that's going on in North Central and Northeast Iowa today with the flooding, we can certainly choose to dedicate our time to thinking and praying of those uh, that have been affected by the floods. And uh, certainly if we are able to uh, lend a hand when is asked. Uh, I know that um, as of the time of this recording, um, they're not ready for volunteers yet. They're not asking for volunteers yet, but that time will come. And uh, hopefully some of us will be able to go lend a hand um, and uh, help those folks as they clean up from these floods in uh, north central and northeast Iowa. So thanks for listening today. That's going to do it for podcast episode number four. And as you heard a couple of different times uh, throughout this podcast, be sure to check out my friends at coffeebygillespie.com. And uh, when you place your order, make sure to use the promo code Deets for Iowa and get your 10% discount at coffeebygillespie.com. Gillespie.com.